0: Ozark Highlands Radio is brought to you by the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. A wonderful way to enjoy yesterday. On the web at OzarkFolkCenter.com. And by Stone Bank, a community bank supporting entrepreneurs and farmers nationwide. With loans guaranteed by the USDA, SBA, and Farm Services Agency. Learn more at StoneBank.com. And the Arkansas Arts Council, empowering the arts for the benefit of all Arkansans. On the web at (laughs) ArkansasArts.org.
1: Howdy, folks. This is Dave Smith, host of Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome to our show. This week, we'll hear music and interviews with Nicholas Edward Williams, recorded live at the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. Our producer, Jeff Glover, has found another great recording in our archives. And in his segment, Back in the Hills, Historian Dr. Brooks Blevins investigates the history of tourism in Branson, Missouri. That's this week on Ozark Highlands Radio. Host of the popular roots music history podcast, American Songcatcher, Nicholas Edward Williams is a multi instrumentalist and storyteller who's dedicated to playing it forward by preserving the songs and styles that have shaped our country. Ragtime, Piedmont blues, traditional folk, old time, and early country. Here are some songs we recorded when he visited recently.
2: You gotta walk that lonesome valley you gotta walk it for yourself oh there ain't nobody else i'm gonna walk it for you yeah you gotta walk that valley for yourself Yeah, she had a walk it for herself. I know there ain't nobody else. I'm gonna walk it for her. She's gotta walk that valley for herself. Somebody, and he had to walk it for himself. boy there ain't nobody else gonna walk it for him. He's gotta walk that valley for yourself Valley, gotta walk it for yourself. There ain't nobody else gonna walk it for you. You You gotta walk that valley for yourself. You gotta walk that valley for yourself. You gotta walk that valley for yourself.
3: I'll mention the podcast that Darren was just talking about um through the pandemic you know a lot of artists that I know were searching for ways to be creative and um I managed to pick another uh career that didn't pay very well but it's a labor of love that I I wouldn't trade for anything I started a music history podcast called American Song Catcher and it's not like your typical podcast I do have interviews but The brunt of the programming is audio documentary style. So it it goes in deep dives, usually starting with a a traditional song, where it came from, how it got here, when it popped up in America, who recorded it, why it's important. And then on a timeline, different roots, genres, and musicians that either pioneered or have shaped American music. And it goes all the way up to somebody that's doing so today. And um, it's been kind of overwhelming, the response that I've gotten and, and the community that's been created from it. Um, So if you like podcasts, if you like uh, listening to documentaries, or if you like watching documentaries, this might be something that you're interested in. Um, So it's called American Songcatcher. That's the only time I'll mention that. I'd like to do a traditional tune for you that uh, I'm going to try to do an an styling of Bill Monroe, but uh, I don't play mandolin and um, this guitar can't sing quite as well. And I can't sing quite as well as Bill Monroe did.
2: captain for the time of day and he said he threw his wife Shiver in the cold wind
3: in progress. Uh, That's a thing that I think will probably take me a lifetime. I've said that many times since I've been here, but uh, getting into the American music spectrum, um, there's so many different avenues, and there's so many uh, deep wells that you can dive into, and you can kind of consistently find things and new things to try and new things to experiment on. Uh, I'd like to bring up Joseph Kirby. I was really impressed with his guitar playing last night after after I performed, and um, we're going to do you a tune that's a an old one that uh, the origins are unknown, as many folk songs go. The first person to record this tune was Jimmy Rogers in 1927. He called it "Gamblers' Blues," and it's a variation of this song. And then two years later, Louis Armstrong recorded it. And um, there's been several musicologists who uh, have been trying to trace the St. James Infirmary. And the only thing they can come up with uh, that is relevant to this song dates back to the 1500s in England. So. It's just a mystery, but it's a a wonderful song. And we're going to do this uh, in a a rendition of a fantastic blues player out of New Orleans called Snooks Eaglin.
2: I went down to St. James Infirmary, see my baby was there. She was stretched out on a long white table. So sweet, so cold, so fair. Let her go, let her go, God bless her. Wherever she may be, she don't look this whole wide world over, she'll never find another man like me. Talk to him, Joe. I'm go peace in my pocket. Let the fellas know I died standing there. Oh, yeah, let her go and let her go. God bless her. Where she may be, she done looked this whole wide world over. She'll never find another man like me. I die, you can bury me in Frisco. You can buy me that twenty dollar hat. Well oh, now put a forty dollar gold piece in my pocket. Just let the fellas know I died standing up. And I let them go. go. God bless you. Never find nothing like me. I went down to St James Infirmary to see if my baby was there. She was stretched out on a long white table. She was so sweet, so cool. Joseph Kirby, (laughs) y'all. It's
3: funny that I put uh, him in this order because I'm about to play a song that he played yesterday, although I really uh, admire the way that he played it. And it's funny when you get into these ragtime, blues, folk tunes. Everybody just plays things slightly differently, and it's always an inspiration. And he played a a tune by Scrapper Blackwell called Nobody Knows You When You're Down and Out. And I I just recently rearranged this a little bit uh, to my own liking. And uh, I'm going to play it for you now.
2: Not one penny And that's for your friends you haven't got any
1: listening to Nicholas Edward Williams, recorded live on our stage in Mountain View, Arkansas. Nicholas started his set with a traditional song, Lonesome Valley, followed by In the Pines and the St. James Infirmary Blues, a song released by Cab Calloway in 1943. He finished the set with a song written by Jimmy Cox back in 1923, Nobody Knows You When You're Down and Out. We've got more good songs from Nicholas Edward Williams, but when we come back after this break, I'll be checking in with my friend Jeff Glover for his latest find from the archives. You're listening to Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. Every week about this time, I head down to the vault to visit with uh, our new keeper of the vault, Jeff Glover. Let's head down there now and see what's going on in the vault. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Dave. How's it going? Well, it's going pretty good. You know, tonight I'm calling a score dance down at the Mountain View Community Center. Nice. And uh, I was thinking about all the square dances that we've had here at the Folk Center for almost 50 years. We had a square dance just about every night that we had a program here. Two square dances, as a matter of fact. We'd start the show with one, and then we'd start the second half with one. So I wonder if you've got any square dance. You know, Dave, the other day I ran across a a really good quality recording of a square dance where you could really hear the caller, but it didn't have any information. Hold on, let me see if I can find it again. Okay, here it is, Dave. It doesn't have any information. I don't know who this is, but it's a great recording. Maybe you can tell me about it. Maybe. Let's listen to it.
2: Like she no right, do Not down the ground. Each partner go but gone partner coming home. I told
0: you, ain't no more.
1: Yeah, boy, it's so great to hear that. I know for a fact that the caller was Kermit Taylor, Uncle Kermit. Uh, he called the very first square dance here in April of 1973 when this place opened up, and he called here for 40 years um, until he passed on. Uh, he's been gone now for a while. In fact, he's the guy that I learned to call square dances from. I, I I use his same style. Um, I'm sure it was Kermit, and I would say that was Sam Younger playing the fiddle. Sam played with what we called the staff band here back in the 1970s and 80s. Sam played the fiddle, and he was a fine, fine old-time fiddler, probably the best fiddler ever to come out of Stone County. Luther Horton played the five-string banjo. Irvin Freeze always played with them on guitar, and, uh, of course, that was Kermit doing the calling. And the tune, by the way, is Mississippi Sawyer, a good old Southern fiddle tune. How do you remember all this stuff, Dave? I don't know. I just recognized Sam's playing. I, I Nobody played like him. He was You know, I best. suspected it might have been Sam. Not that I recognize his style, but he's just on so many of these recordings. Yeah, and I'm kind of guessing about those other guys, but that was the staff band in those days, and I'll bet that's Sam, Luther, Irvin playing those tunes. Well, I'll be darned. Mississippi, so. Yes, sir. Oh, well, that's a fun tune. Well, and I, I, that was a great square dance. I think I'll call that one tonight at the dance. Nice. All right, hey, look, I'll see you next week, okay? Yes, you will. Bye, Jeff. Bye, Dave. Our featured guest this week, Nicholas Edward Williams, has spent the last 15 years touring around the U.S. and the U.K., Western Europe, and Australia, blending the roots music spectrum in his own style. Here's Nick's version of Barbara Allen. I'm
3: going to play you a very old tune from uh, England, and this dates back to at least the 16th century. Uh, there was a upper-middle-class uh, gentleman... Uh, whose name is escaping me right now? Uh, his diary was used sort of as um, well as a resource for historians for a long time because he was so detailed and uh, was his timing and everything was so on on point of these you know gigantic disasters like the London Bridge fire, um, these great epidemics that would happen in England, and so he was trusted. Um, and one of his earliest uh, diary entries. It was in the early 1600s, I think in 1601, and it was on New Year's Eve, and um, he was out with some friends and uh, a mistress, and um, he noted that his mistress was singing a lovely song called Barbara Allen, and the song has a weird social dynamic. At that time, uh, in England, um, for instance, um, it was... If you were trying to court a person, you had to be very intentional and you had to be very specific and there were steps that you had to take in order for that to happen. And in this story, there's a man named William who's on his deathbed, he's dying. And he's always wanted to tell this woman that he loves her and that she would be by his side while he passed away. So he sent his servant to go find her and uh, he went and found her and uh, she wasn't thrilled at the prospect and she took her sweet time But she did go by his bedside, and it turns out that she was hesitant because at a tavern, this William was in her presence, and there was apparently some sort of friction between them or there was something that was going to happen, but instead he gave a toast to another group of women. And when that happened, his chances were over. Social dynamics. But when she got to his deathbed, she simply said, young man, looks like you're dying. (laughs) <laughs> pretty cold-blooded, and she left not long after, and uh, after he died, uh, Barbara Allen started hearing the death bell tolls in her head, and she kind of became mad with this sound that kept popping into her head, and she came in, she became over, so overcome with grief that she ended up passing away not long afterwards, and the romanticized version of the song is that uh, they were buried in a churchyard and they were buried side by side, and above his grave grew a rose, and above her grave grew a briar, and they eventually grew to intertwine with each other. It's not technically what happened, but folk songs as they go uh, seem to romanticize things. This is my own version. I've slightly changed the lyrics of the song, and I'm doing it in a minor key version, which is very very similar to Gene Ritchie's version. Uh, And this is Barbary Allen.
2: Every stroke to heard it say. Soon she was laying beside him But sweet William there grows Not of hers a briar They grew and they grew In the orchard yard Till they can grow no higher and Then they formed a true love Is not the rose around
3: Thank you so much. Another very important guitar player in my life has been Elizabeth Cotton, and uh, Elizabeth had just an incredible story. She grew up around the turn of the century, similar to Mississippi John Hurt in the Chapel Hill area of North Carolina, and writing songs like Freight Train by the time she was 10 or 11 years old. And she got married at 13. And the church that she belonged to uh, convinced her that she needed to give up her, as they called it, her worldly guitar playing. And she did. And many, many decades passed and she had children who had their own children. And eventually she went out to Washington, D.C. to follow her daughter and her granddaughters and she got a job at a department store. And one day, uh, there was a little girl who was lost, and she helped her find her mother inside the department store. And That little girl was Peggy Seeger, who's Mike Seeger's sister and Pete Seeger's half-sister. And Ruth, her mother, was so grateful that she offered Elizabeth the job working at their house and uh, sort of being their nanny and uh, their caretaker and uh, taking care of the house. And after a few years of working there, uh, Peggy came home one day and she found Elizabeth playing the gut string guitar that's usually on the wall and she was blown away by what she heard and, and Elizabeth was extremely apologetic at first she said yeah, I'm so sorry you know I, I shouldn't have been playing it without asking and Peggy said no you need to do that again you need to do that in front of the whole family and she did and what Elizabeth was doing in secret was taking the guitar off the wall when nobody was home and reteaching herself how to play the Piedmont Blues style and Elizabeth uh, before, many decades before Jimi Hendrix did, was lefty and she flipped the guitar over without changing the order of the strings. Uh, so she was doing the opposite of what, what I'm doing on, with my hands. And that, the process of remembering how to play something um, back to when you were 10 or 11 years old or 12 years old is kind of mind-blowing for me. Um, and she ended up um, getting recorded in Mike Seeger's bedroom not long after that and that became her first record which was called Freight Train, and other North Carolina folk songs. And uh, went on to be a huge inspiration, especially for uh, American primitive guitar and the different styles of tuning that you can do in uh, the 60s and 70s. People just latched onto her first record. And Dave uh, Davon Ronk is an, a person that was heavily influenced, John Fahey. And um, she went on to win a Grammy when she was 90 years old. And uh, I'm gonna do a song of hers called Freight Train. Thank mm-hmm. you.
2: that I've gone When I'm dead and I'm in my grave No more good times here I crave Place the stones in my head and my feet Tell them all i have gone to sleep End of the night Please don't tell what train that I'm on cause they won't know which route that I've gone They won't know which route that I've gone They won't know which route that I've gone
3: The train is going to pull out of the station, I think.
1: Tennessee native Nicholas Edward Williams, singing Barbara Allen. He followed that with another great traditional song, Elizabeth Cotton's Freight Train. It's time to take a short break. When we come back, historian Dr. Brooks Blevins will investigate the history of tourism in the entertainment mecca of the Ozarks, Branson, Missouri. This is Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. Writer and historian Brooks Blevins has spent a lifetime exploring the history of the Ozark Plateau. Here's his latest installment of his segment, Back in the Hills.
0: It was a Sunday evening that few people in Branson would forget. It was December the 8th, 1991, when veteran newsman Morley Safer of 60 Minutes Introduced America to the tiny Ozarks town with more theater seats than Broadway and Vegas. The show's New York production staff were plum flabbergasted by what they found. Miles long traffic jams of golden agers queued up to watch their favorite country music legends perform live in shiny new theaters, a whole row of them sitting shoulder to shoulder among the go-kart tracks, motels, and down home restaurants pushed up hard against a three lane blacktop. If this little redneck Hong Kong of a town, so dubbed by Roy Reed of the New York Times, had ever existed in national anonymity, it wouldn't anymore. In the final installment of our three-part look at the story of Branson, let's go back in the hills to witness the birth of an Ozark national phenomenon. Branson was no stranger to tourists. The area had been attracting visitors since the late 1800s and had become something of a middle American destination by the 1970s. But the next two decades witnessed the rise of this small town as a national draw and a pop-cultural signpost. It started in 1981 when the he Theater opened up on Branson's Highway 76 trip, which up to that time was the exclusive domain of theaters featuring Ozark regional music acts. The he Theater didn't last long, but it did introduce he TV star Roy Clark to the Ozarks. Two years later, Clark opened his own theater in town, It was a watershed moment for Branson, the first theater founded and headlined by a bona fide national celebrity. Roy Clark's arrival seemed to open the floodgates for performers from outside the region, some of them barely heard of, others widely known. While the strip's two original acts, the Presleys and the Bald Knobbers, survived, the other local shows eventually closed their doors, replaced by more high-profile shows. By the time 60 Minutes came to town, Branson boasted theaters headlined by Mickey Gilley, Jim Stafford, Christy Lane, Ray Stevens, and Mel Tillis. None was in the prime of a career, but all had been popular recording artists a few years earlier. And then there were the only in Branson success stories. Liesl Martin came to town four years after Roy Clark and hit it big with his Boxcar Willie Theater. The singing hobo had no more need of jumping freight trains. After a couple of seasons, he could have bought his own railroad company. More unusual for rural southwest Missouri were the theaters headlined by Shoji Tabuchi and Yakov Smirnoff. Tabuchi, a Japanese fiddler who had fallen in love with old-time country music after hearing Roy Acuff in concert, he went on to one of Branson's longest and most successful careers as a headliner. Smirnoff was a Ukrainian immigrant who became a stand-up comedy sensation in the waning days of the Cold War, contrasting life in the Soviet Union and the U.S., and even headlined his own short-lived TV sitcom before glasnost and perestroika took the wind out of his sails. Commie bashing may have been old shopka after the fall of the Soviet Union, but it continued to find an eager audience among the greatest generation fueling Branson's furious growth. The 60 Minutes special in 1991 launched an already soaring tourist town into the stratosphere. In the days before internet searches, Branson's Little Chamber of Commerce received some 3,000 phone calls per day in the early months of 1992. And within two years, the number of visitors in town increased by 50%. Those were heady days in the old Shepherd of the Hills country. The royalty of old country music roamed the strip. Loretta Lynn was a regular. Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard took turnabout at the Ozark Theater. Even Johnny Cash began building his own theater in 1992. And it wasn't just country acts. Pop crooner Andy Williams opened his Moon River Theater. Vegas made its way to the 76th Strip, and theaters headlined by Wayne Newton and Tony Orlando. The Rockettes and touring versions of Broadway plays injected a dose of New York-style entertainment. But those days turned out to be the high point for star-studded shows in Branson. Cash country never got built. Willie and Merle didn't stick around. Wayne Newton and Tony Orlando barely stayed long enough for the paint to dry on their walls. Branson would remain the domain of buttoned-up, patriotic family entertainment. As the old country stars aged off the stage, they were replaced by lesser-known country and gospel singers, by magicians, tribute artists, or by modern lights and laser shows. All talented folks— just no one who's likely to entice 60 Minutes back to the Ozarks anytime soon. Still, the little Ozark town on the White River continues to attract millions of visitors each year, but nowhere near the lofty numbers forecast by city fathers three decades ago. And the old hillbilly image that for generations went hand-in-hand with Branson tourism is about as scarce as hen's teeth nowadays. You'll still find Herkimer doing his hick-shtick at Presley's, But corncob pipes and genuine hillbilly ashtrays aren't as easy to stumble upon these days. And the only moonshine you'll find is legal, the kind hipsters take a drap of, ironically. You're probably just as likely to head to the Branson area now for a golf outing, a trip to a posh spa, or a winery. With all the changes, though, Branson is still designed to do what it was doing long before any of us was born— entertain visitors and separate them from their money. That's one cherished tradition that'll never change. And speaking of cherished traditions, Ozark treasure Violet Hensley played the fiddle and showed people how to make one for almost half a century at Silver Dollar City and watched all Branson's transformations in the process. Here she is performing a few years back on stage right here at the Ozark Folk Center.
1: Thanks, Brooks. Let's close out this week's show with three more fine songs from Nicholas Edward Williams, starting with the East Virginia Blues. ¶¶
2: And, chain. and all I want is you, my darling Just say you take me back again I'd rather be in some dark color Where the sun refused to shine Than for you to be another man's darling And to know that you'll never be mine
3: to do a tune uh, from one of my more recent guitar heroes, uh, Mr. Norman Blake. And and Chattanooga, he's a local legend. He's from Rising Fawn, Georgia, which is just about 30 minutes south of town. And um, if you don't know who Norman is, he played with everybody from Tony Rice, Doc Watson. He learned, um, just like Doc and and Tony and many other folks, from Mabel Carter, listening to her on the Grand Ole Opry radio in the 1920s and 1930s. essentially lived in the same little area for most of his life and still does. Um, and he actually just recently put out a record with Smithsonian Folkways, I think last year. Or it might have been earlier this year. And um, I haven't met him before. We lived in Rising Fawn for about a year, and I it was right during the pandemic, and I was really hoping that I would run into him in the grocery store or something. Not that I would know what to say. I have one of those issues when I run into my idols where I kind of fanboy out, and I'm re- I kind of annoy them right away because I, I just want to ask them all the questions about the guitar and, uh, you know, all the ways in which they learned how to play and what they could teach me. And uh, I'm going to do a tune that, uh, I'm not really sure where this one came from, but he he wrote it um, in the 1980s, uh, or actually late 1970s, it's called Jin Sullivan.
2: Out from the reverse curve on down Not far south from the town depot Sullivan's shack was found Back on the higher ground You could see him every day Just walking on down that line The old brown sack of his back Long hair down behind Speaking his in mind Now it's a long way to the delta from the north georgia hills, a tote sack full of ginseng pay no traveling bills still now i am too old to ride the rails i found the road alone so i guess i'll never make it back to home to my moody water mississippi delta Side with the brown hard and still Got to stay at the foot of the hill And all the next summer when things turn right Companies will pay high I'll make enough money to pay my bills Beat these mountains goodbye And then he said with the side Now it's a long way to the turn From the North Georgia hills The tote sack full of ginseng will pay no traveling bill now I'm too old to ride in the rails of rule alone So I guess I'll never make it back to home To my moody water Mississippi Delta home It's a long way to the Delta. From the North Georgia hills. I told Sackful of ginseng won't pay no traveling bills. I'm too old to ride in the reels. I thumb the road along. So I can sound and make it back to home. To my muddy water, Mississippi Delta. Home. My muddy water, Mississippi Delta home. My mighty water, Mississippi, Delta home.
3: Thank you, folks. i to play you a tune that uh, was written by a fellow named Utah Phillips. And uh, I've heard this song done recently by folks like uh, Tyler Childers and Willie Watson. And uh, I really like their renditions, and I like kind of mixing those with Utah's version. And of the songs that are this beautiful, it's had some quite messed up lyrics, I'll tell you now uh, at the very end, and I'll let you know when that is about to happen. It's called Rock, Salt, and Nails.
2: to the river are so long oh, okay. sorrow runs deep See, a few ladies were blackbirds, few ladies with thrushes. I lie there for hours in the cold, chilly marshes. Here's that messed up verse. few ladies were squirrels with high, bushy tails. I'd fill up my shotgun with rock salt and nails. I'd fill up my shotgun with rock salt and nails. I'd fill up my shotgun with rock salt and nails.
1: In that last set, we heard Nicholas Edward Williams sing a couple of more contemporary songs. Norman Blake's Ginseng Sullivan and Rock, Salt, and Nails, penned in 1961 by American folk singer Bruce Utah Phillips. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Be sure and tune in next week for more music you won't hear any farther up the radio dial. This is your host, Dave Smith. Y'all take care.
4: Ozark Highlands Radio is produced by Jeff Glover. Executive producer is Darren Dorton.